0: Well, this is what happens when you go on vacation and the demand is so great that you must come off of vacation and work. And so the Dolphins in Depth podcast is back on the air. New star of the show, at least for this uh, episode, Barry Jackson is with caddy of the show, Armando Salguero. Hello, new star of the show, Barry Jackson.
1: Hello, Armando. Good to be with you, if only for this week.
0: Well, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't predict that because honestly, we don't know what next week will bring and we don't know what the next seven weeks will bring. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, as we sit here, the Miami Dolphins are on vacation and, and they're not coming back off of vacation to do a podcast or to do anything of that nature, Barry. Unfortunately, Brian Flora is not the kind of coach that asks his guys to come off a vacation.
1: No, he sent them away. They're enjoying a month off.
0: I guess the only edicts are stay out of trouble and stay in shape, right? Right. And so let's talk about that right off the bat. So, you know, the most interesting or one of the most interesting storylines of the late in the offseason was the fact that Xavier Howard was not participating and then was not part of the minicamp, which is mandatory. So he took his ninety three thousand dollar fine and that's the way it's going to work because he wants a new contract. But, Barry, I look at instagram and i look at social media and x is working out man and he's making it very clear that he's working out which suggests what to you it suggests to me that he intends to play this year
1: the question is how long would a potential holdout be if the dolphins don't acquiesce to his demand for more money over the next five weeks and it's just difficult for me to see any player with four years left on their contract having the ability or the stomach to be able to sit out well into the regular season. I know we've seen examples isolated in the past, but it's hard for me to imagine that if the Dolphins were to call his bluff, that Xavier would simply not show up to work for four years and that the Dolphins would play along with this. So at some point if he does begin the off season or begin training camp, I should say, with a holdout I would imagine he would return before regular season checks begin. All that being said, clearly, as you well know, the Dolphins wouldn't want it to get to that point. So then the question is this. If you're Greer and Flores sitting there with a drink with an umbrella this week, do you say to yourselves, let's pacify our best player, let's make this work just by either giving him a little more guaranteed money or signing bonus just to make this issue go away?
0: Well, if I'm Greer or Flores and I'm sitting there with a drink garnished by an umbrella, I'm thinking I'm good. Everything's going to be just fine because my social media crew or my own eyes have told me Xavier Howard is working out. He's put the videos on social media. He's working out for a reason, which is he intends to play so regardless of whether he holds out in training camp or not, he's going to play. And this is where I would say to you that social media is hurt is going to hurt Zavian Howard because he has basically uncovered himself, unveiled himself as with intentions that he is going to play. Right. If he had instead posted pictures
1: like Aaron Rodgers – of cavorting on a beach in Hawaii, then you'd have more questions, right? Because then it would look like maybe he's bracing for a long holdout. Now to me, solving this from a Dolphin standpoint, if they want to make their best player happy, isn't that complicated? I looked at the money due Byron Jones and Xavier Howard over the next four years from 21 through 2024. Jones is due 55.3 million. Howard is due 49 million. Of that money, the guarantee for Jones is $20 million. The guarantee for Howard is $12.1 million. So you give Zavian another $8 million and this gets solved. Now, I know the flip side of that is why do you want to cave to a player who has four years left on his contract? He signed the contract. Both sides took some level of risk at the time, and you just go in understanding that this is a deal. I would counter with this if you're making the case for Xavier you could say this is not just a player coming off a good year. This is a player coming off in historically good year who, has, who is arguably is as important to the defense as a quarterback would be on the offense. Maybe not quite at that level, but certainly you could say within the ballpark of importance. So to me, this could easily be fixed just by giving him an upfront lump sum, maybe of $8 million, which would put him back above Byron Jones, and you could spread the cap hit, right, over several years as part of proration that's allowed with the salary cap and signing bonuses. So to, to me, it's in the Dolphins' best interest to do that because they are able to do this from a cap standpoint, especially if it would lower its cap number this year. Now, you could say the Dolphins saying, why do we want to set this precedent? But then my response to that, and tell me your thinking on this, Armando, my response to that would be this. We're setting a precedent with a player who had an historical season. We're not going to make a habit of doing this for a player who had a good season. But when you get to a certain threshold, like 10 interceptions, or maybe 130 catches in a season, or something just enormous like that, almost unfathomable, to me, that's where you can make the exception if you're a team about renegotiating a contract that was just extended
0: and renegotiated a year ago. Yeah, the precedent argument... Barry rings hollow for me for two reasons. If you even want to acknowledge that it's a precedent, uh, then the precedent is your best player on the team, your best player on the team, not the best player on defense, not the best player in the secondary, the best, most productive player on the team is not the highest paid player on the team. They are higher paid players on the team. He's not the highest paid player within his unit. He's not the highest paid player within his position group. That's the precedent. So if tomorrow the Dolphins once again have a player that is just balling and he is the best Guy on the team, and he's not getting paid like it. I would say, yeah, well, that's a precedent, and that guy might be able to come to you and say, I also want a salary adjustment because back in 2021, Xavier Howard got one. But what I would say to you is that there is no precedent, it's not a precedent. What's the precedent of you, you pay the best players the best money? That's, I mean, that's just what people do. Uh, that's what teams do. I, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand. It's, what is this precedent thing? What agent says, well, you have to do this for us because you did it for Xavian? Well, the response is, I mean, what player on the team would would have that argument right now? Nobody. Right, Nobody. exactly. I guess Agba's trying to make the case coming He's off. He's not of, the best you know, player on fact. the
1: team. Right, unquestionably so. Yeah, no, I can. I totally am with you on this. And I think one other point that we also agree on is the Dolphins brought this problem on themselves. And I want to preface what I'm about to say by noting that Byron Jones is a quality NFL cornerback, a first-rate person, someone you want on your team. But the Dolphins easily could have found a mid-level cornerback last offseason and not had this issue. James Bradbury, three years, $45 million from the Giants, played very well for them last year. Kendall Fuller, at the same time the Dolphins were giving Byron Jones the huge contract, Fuller got four years, 40 million from Washington had a 63 passer rating against this year. That was terrific. Um- Breeland from Kansas City, obviously he's had off-field issues, but he played well. Uh, Logan Ryan, obviously, signing late in the offseason, eventually ended up at safety, but he would have been a corner who would have cost half the price as Byron Jones. So this is no criticism of Byron Jones, who's a good player, but the Dolphins easily could have avoided this issue with Zavian if they had simply signed a mid-level corner of this ilk for a 40 or $45 million deal instead of one over $80 million.
0: Well, let's dig in on that. Suppose they really wanted Byron Jones. They could have said, Byron, we have a cornerback that has produced more than you. This is what he makes. Would you take this contract and signed Byron Jones not to the lower contracts that you just mentioned, but one equal to Zavian Howard? And Mm -hmm. then Zavian Howard would not have – a, a leg to stand on, which would make playing cornerback by the way pretty difficult. but <laughs> <laughs> nonetheless it would uh, it would clear the whole contract situation because well Xavier we just signed a guy who we think is really good to the same kind of contract you signed and and the issue would be with Byron Jones whether he would have accepted it or not. But who was trying to pay Byron Jones like the best corner in the NFL at that time? Nobody. Right. Well, I've heard from
1: people close to him that Las Vegas made a significant offer. But I think your your suggestion was totally reasonable. Go to Byron Jones and say, look, we have an all-pro caliber corner, as you could be, in Xavian. We don't want to pay you more than Xavian. It creates internal problems. How about we have both of you guys earning the same? Would he have taken that? Probably so, unless the Vegas offer was comparable, and I guess we'll never know for sure specifically how much Las Vegas offered. All I was told was that it was a very good offer that he strongly considered, but that Miami appealed to him. Uh, so Because
0: they offered more. <laughs> right, I, I,
1: I, I would presume so. So the question now is, if you're Greer and Flores, do you say we need to make this right, or do you call the players bluff and let it play out?
0: I saw, look, up until now, I have been on the bandwagon of make make Xavier Howard whole. He's your best guy, and you don't want this this um, irritant uh, to be the story on the first day of training camp, and you don't want it to be the story on any day of training camp. Just make it go away. If it's a money thing, make it go away. But now that I have seen the social media, uh, you know, account from Zavian Howard, he intends to play. If I have, if I have the desire to hold my ground, I know that I'm going to win. Zavian Howard has basically signaled to the Dolphins, you're going to win. I, I, you know, I may make it uncomfortable for a while. But you're going to win because I'm going to play. And th- that is a strategic mistake. There should have been, and there should be no Xavier Howard tape, IG, Twitter, Facebook, MyFace, MySpace, uh, anything. Snapchat, Rumble, YouTube or, or Snapface as a Snapface or, or hands up. Look, there should be nothing suggesting to anyone that Xavier Howard is doing anything other than locking down and getting ready for a holdout. Because the the idea that he's getting ready for a a football season tells me he's going to play football. And if I'm the Miami Dolphins, I know he's going to play football for me.
1: Right. And here's the other big question with this. If he asks for a trade, which we both anticipate if this doesn't get resolved, is there any scenario where you're the Dolphins and you consider it? Would there be anything realistic tempting enough? Maybe a mid-level starting corner, a number one and a number two, or just two number ones if a team is willing to take that gamble on a player with a history of knee issues. Is there anything, Armando, that would tempt you to even consider it if you're Greer and Flores? Of course. I mean – And and that would be what?
0: Uh Well, first of all, everyone is available on a team that hasn't won a Super Bowl. Everyone is available on a team that hasn't lost a Super Bowl, but is coming back, you know, full full throttle. People are available on teams that are just, eh. And the Dolphins right now, a team that hasn't been to the playoffs in 2016, they may be good, we hope, we think, they think, But they're not great, so everyone's available. Everyone's available. Who is the equivalent for Xavier Howard? Uh, Hello, Green Bay. You want to trade Aaron (laughs) Rodgers? Yeah, that's not going to happen, is it, Barry? No. And I just wonder,
1: knowing how much Greer craves draft picks, is there a scenario where you don't get a starting caliber corner back, but a team offers you two number ones, say one next year and then say one in 2024, where you would consider it? I would not, but at the same time, I, it would it would be at least a fleeting thought only because of Xavier's knee issues in the past. He's had at least three procedures. So that's why I would at least maybe let it marinate. For a night. But as far as pulling the trigger, I don't think I would even for two number ones uh, because of the value he has on this defense. Now, if you get a starting caliber corner who you would consider to be at least adequate and a number one and let's say a number three, uh, preferably a number two, that might be a little bit more tempting because then you're getting a player who would replace him immediately in the lineup instead of trusting Igbenogany, who by all accounts has improved, but obviously unproven or McCourty, who struggled badly for New England last year and is hoping to hang on now as a a guy competing against Javon Holland at free safety. Uh, So to me, the point at which I would really start considering it, but I still wouldn't do it, Armando, would be you get a decent starting corner, a first-round pick, and then a second-day pick. And whether a team is willing to do something that rich for a player who's missed substantial time with knee issues is very questionable to me.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's doubtful to me. I mean, I don't know of any team that would give up that much because, remember, whatever team would want to do that would then have to do what? Pay Xavier and Howard. Right. So they would inherit Miami's financial problem of having to give a new player who has four year le- four years left on his contract a new contract and most teams don't want to do that, that's somebody else's problem, not yours. And you're talking about a mint if you're talking about a first, a second, and a player. I mean, that's that's like – I don't know of anyone that would do that, Barry, to be honest with you. I don't – I just – there's no – I mean, I just can't name you a team that would consider that. Right. I, I guess trade. You know, look back at trades of recent
1: defensive backs. Obviously, Jalen Ramsey going from Jacksonville. Jamal Adams got two number ones from Seattle for the Jets. But I mean, if you're talking about a quality player or at least a decent serviceable starter and high draft picks, that would be
0: pretty unusual. And here's the problem for the Dolphins. If this was 2019, I would tell you Xavier Howard is likely gone because. It doesn't matter what happens on the field. But we're in 2021 or and the season is, what, 74 days away or whatever. Mm-hmm. The Miami Dolphins in 2021 have to make the playoffs. And to do that, they need the defense to play great. Not good, great. Like last year, great. Like top five in scoring, great. And to do that, they have to have not one, but two cornerbacks that lock down receivers so that they can create in the front end and do you know the 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 gimmicky stuff that Flores and Boyer like to do with the amoeba and the bring pressure and the zero blitzes and all of that stuff. You can do that when you have two great cornerbacks. Or two outstanding cornerbacks, you can't do that with one outstanding cornerback, um, Correct. and so uh, that would that would diminish the Dolphins. And again, in twenty twenty one, the diminished Dolphins, you don't get a break for well, we we picked up a draft pick in twenty twenty four. No, I mean eventually you got to start you know producing wins. And this is the year. This team needs to go to the playoffs for people to be content. And, you know, so the other day I went to my doctor for my physical, Barry, and he says to me, so what are they going to do? And I said, well, you know, they need to make the playoffs. And he's like, what? That's not enough. (laughs) Uh, Make the playoffs and you lose a game and you're going to be all right? And I'm thinking, well, I mean, that would be, you know, advancing the ball a little bit from not making the playoffs. And he's like, we've been there. That's not the reason this whole rebuild was done. The reason the whole rebuild was done was to win championships. People are one year away from demanding the big thing. And you don't get to the big thing by giving up talent for future draft picks.
1: Right. I, I'm totally with you on that. And making the playoffs will even be more difficult this season than it was last year, where they barely missed, for this reason. New England is going to be better. We don't know if they've solved quarterback with Mac Jones. We don't know if Cam Newton, with a normal offseason under his belt, is going to be better. But because of offseason additions, I think it's reasonable to think they're going to be better than a 7-9 and team. So that's another non-playoff team that you're competing with that's going to be better. I would say the Chargers would be better if you presume that Herbert will be what he was last off season or last season rather, and gets a whole year under his belt. They were 7-9, so they're going to be better. Another non-playoff team that you're competing with just to eliminate one of the teams that was in the playoffs last year. I would make the case there's a decent chance the Raiders at 8-8 eight eight will be better, and the other team that didn't make the playoffs last year that I would be concerned with, not because of what they have on their roster now, Armando, but what they could get would be Denver. Say we are sitting here in early September and Aaron Rodgers hasn't reported and the Packers throw up their hands and say, "Okay, we'll send you to Denver." Then they more than likely become a playoff team. So then you start wondering, not only do you have to remove a team that was in the playoffs last year to make room for Miami, but also you have to factor in these four other teams as playoff possibilities. Now, I guess the the one playoff team from last year maybe you start to wonder about, will they make it again, it's Pittsburgh just because obviously we saw a diminished Roethlisberger the second half of the season. He's getting uh, no younger, clearly, so he's not going to get better at this point. Uh, Tom Brady's the only one who does that. So uh, I just think it's a highly competitive AFC, a more competitive AFC than last year, and you need to hold on to your best player. That's why I think we're both in agreement. Ultimately, you say no to virtually any Xavier Howard trade
0: offer. When we come back, Barry has done a deep dive into what areas on the team will offer competition. And I, um, I, I think that it's going to be an interesting segment right after this. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix Live event happening May 5th You ready? Showtime on May third. Summer starts with the Fall Guy. Let's it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's Fall guy. what the posters, then. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG 13.
0: So, Barry, tell me everything you know about competition on the Miami Dolphins.
1: Well, I think you can point to at least a half dozen positions. I want to get your thoughts on each of them. Uh, Let's start offensive line. Bunch of open positions. It's clear to both of us from what we've been told that the Dolphins would love if Liam Eikenberg is their starting right tackle. But he's not going to be simply handed the job. And I think it was interesting that couple of weeks into the off-season program, they signed the Patriots' opening day starting right tackle last year in Jermaine Ellimanor. And he certainly could end up being a factor if Eichenberg is not impressive in preseason and if he struggles once the pads come on. So right tackle, I would say, ideally, Eichenberg would start, but that is by no means settled. Center has become an interesting battle. I think when Matt Skurl was signed... Uh, Everyone sort of assumed he'd be the starter, but very quietly, the Dolphins still tried to sign David Andrews a day after signing Scora with the intent of making Andrews their starter. He went back to New England, but even with that, the Dolphins are saying, hey, Matt Scora, a year after losing your job because of snapping issues in Baltimore, we're not handing you this job. We are giving a long look to Michael Dieter and maybe not quite as long a look to Cameron Tom, who's been a Saints practice squad player over several years, but we're giving a look at him as well. So to me, Scora a slight favorite, but Dieter has a real chance. And then finally, at left guard, I, at this point, Armando would make Jesse Davis the favorite over Solomon Kinley, just from things that I've seen, uh, just the sense that I get. Now, Kinley's got a chance to overtake him, but to me, if the season were to start tomorrow, which would be quite odd because nobody's practicing, uh, Jesse Davis, to me, would likely be the starting left guard. Which of those offensive line battles intrigues you?
0: Well, uh, they're all interesting. So, when the Dolphins signed Eliminor, I got a text from a league source who said, and I quote, Eliminor was excellent at right tackle early last year before he got his ankle rolled over. So, the reason that he fell out of favor was his play diminished later in the season because of an injury. He's not injured that I know of right now, so uh, I'm expecting that he will make it into a, you know a serious competition, and I'm expecting that, like you said, they're not going to simply hand the job to Liam. Just because he was a draft pick. Just like they, you know, they, they're not handing the left guard job to Solomon Kinley just because he was a starter and a draft pick last year. Um, they have, they have a chance to have some interesting battles. And regardless of who wins those battles, they, they all come with a certain amount of pedigree and a certain amount of ability to excite. With the exception of center. I'm a little concerned about the center spot, Barry. Yeah. Um, you know, that that is now the new place where teams are focused in and saying, okay, well, if we lock down the tackles, you have to lock down the center with a quality, quality guy. And you can argue that, you know, Michael Dieter is a quality, quality guy based on the fact that he was a third round pick, except that he simply hasn't played to that level where you can call him a quality, quality guy. He's a, uh, an improving player that is unproven and you want to see more and they need more out of. And Scora, frankly, what was he like, the third or fourth best center available in free agency? And kind of like a, a cheaper type of signing. So that is going to be intriguing to me. And unless those two, one of, one of those people really shines in training camp in the preseason, I would say that that's the spot that is going to be a little dicey going into the regular
1: season. No question. And in the post Pouncey era they've tried to get by with serviceable guys who are first-rate teammates, Daniel Kilgore, Ted Karras, I think we both agree, first-rate guys, they're not going to embarrass you, they're going to be generally competent, you know, serviceable is a word you would probably uh, use, but they're not going to be Pro Bowl level. And so we're still at that stage with Scura where you're getting a guy who probably is going to be decent if he looks like uh, the player uh, who played very well for the Ravens in 2018 and 2019. But again, you're looking for a Pro Bowl player at that position to replace place the one you had in his heyday, Mike Pouncey, uh, and you simply haven't found one. want to ask you about receiver because we know clearly who the top three or four will be with Devontae, Waddle, Will Fuller, and likely Preston Williams, who's still working his way back from the foot injury uh, from December. The team expects him back for the opener. So that's four if you assume Preston makes the team. So then here would be my question to you. Of the seven others, and you could probably narrow it to four, who deserves the last two spots? Among Albert Wilson, who had some good moments in minicamp. Jakeem Grant, who might have trade value with another team. He was the third-best punt returner in the league last year by average. Alan Hearns. Malcolm Perry, do you invest another year in him? Lynn Bowden, I might make him the front runner for the fifth job, although that is far from clear to me. And then finally... You have two guys, Armando and Robert Foster uh, and Mac Hollins, who have the added bonus of being gunners on special teams. Very important role. So do you have to keep one of them over, say, a Wilson, a Grant, a Lynn Bowden because of their talents as a gunner? So if you commit one roster spot to them and you keep six receivers, then you're talking about Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, Lynn Bowden, Alan Hearns, Malcolm Perry competing for one spot. That's going to be a tough decision.
0: It absolutely is going to be a tough decision. And you know who loves the tough decisions based on um, cut downs of this roster? Is Ryan Flores. Because it means that if you're cutting good players or getting rid of good players, you're keeping better players, typically. <laughs> Unless you totally blew the decision. But – uh that's a good situation to be in. I like Jakeen Grant. I like him more as a, you know, special teams guy and a returner than I do as a receiver. And so I want to see him do that a lot in the preseason. That's how he's going to make the team. I don't know that uh, doing it, playing wide receiver is going to be a thing. Uh, for him this year, if Jakeem Grant is playing wide receiver for you as he has been forced to do late in the season, the last what three, four years, mm-hmm. because you know, team MASH, uh, wide receiver core loses their first three or four guys to injuries, um, you're putting him in a tough spot because you know, that's not you're. He's not a 50-snap-a-game guy plus returns. That's just too much of a load for him, and that's why he's been hurt late in seasons. Alan Hearns, okay. You know, I mean, he's solid. Um, Malcolm Perry, Bowdoin. I, I, am I the only one that thinks that Bowden? Uh, comes with a lot of, of um, press, but I want to see some elite playmaking. I need to see elite playmaking. And have we seen elite playmaking? Um, no, just
1: bursts, right? I mean, we saw a few things in the Patriots game late in the season when he replaced Perry uh, in the slot after Malcolm got a bit of a chance earlier in the season. We saw flashes, but that's all it was, flashes. So, if you keep. He's good. Yes. Good, yes. But we want more, right? right? If you keep Hollins or Foster as your gunner slash fifth or sixth receiver, then to me, it likely comes down to Bowden or Albert Wilson. Wilson obviously costs more money. He has a bigger cap hit. Bowden is younger. Oftentimes, teams will go with a younger player if there are two comparable talents. The one thing that could happen, I think, in August. That could possibly tilt it toward Wilson would be if Albert is just so dynamic in training camp and in the three preseason games and he shows you the skills that intoxicated Adam Gase years ago, right, when they signed him from Kansas City and that he flashed here his first season here before the hip injury. Then subsequently it took a year to recover from the hip. He had hamstring issues as well during that twenty nineteen season. So to me, Wilson is the wild card here. If they feel like he can recapture what he once showed and he's still young enough, then maybe he earns a spot. And obviously if there's an injury, maybe there's room for both Wilson and for Lynn Bowden.
0: Right. And the thing that bothers me with Wilson is that you you didn't mention the injury history as right. far as yeah, dynamic in 20 what was it 2018 with when he came to the Dolphins, but eh, dynamic for five games. Right. And then 2019 dynamic for five minutes because <laughs> it took him a while to get better. And then 2020 again opt out. How how are you gonna count on him? Right. How do how do you it's a it's a gamble basically. Suppose he balls in in training camp and in the preseason, which I suppose he should because he's not gonna play against ones and he's a borderline, you know, starting caliber guy in the NFL. How do you trust that he can play sixteen games?
1: His body is broken down too much. Now, keep in mind, whoever is kept as your fifth or sixth receiver is going to be needed offensively in the opener because Will Fuller is suspended Correct. Uh, for that New England game. So, yeah, to me, that position is fascinating. I uh, want to get your thoughts on a couple defensive battles. I guess the most obvious one defensively is their nickel corner, a guy who's on the field more than 50% of the time. Nick Needham against Justin Coleman. Now, Coleman has been a competent NFL player, but he struggled last year for Detroit. His metrics were not very good. I was a little surprised Miami signed him, although he has been a decent player for Seattle uh, for the Lions at times over the years. Needham, to me, was solid for 15 games. But then the Buffalo finale happened, and Isaiah McKenzie ran him in every possible direction and Needham was beaten for three touchdowns after not being beaten for a touchdown all season. So clearly that made Florist and Greer convinced that Nick Needham should not simply be handed the nickel corner job. And so you have a competition with Coleman. Igbenomini is getting some snaps uh, in the nickel this off season, but I think the Dolphins still view him primarily as a boundary corner. Uh, so in the secondary, that's one battle. And of course, the other big battle is Javon Holland trying to hold off you know, 98-year-old Jason McCourty. Uh And we think that Holland, if he is what the Dolphins think he is, should be the starter. But until we see it, until we see the guy who had nine interceptions in his two years at Oregon, you know, there's obviously going to be some question. Now, your conversation with Mario Cristobal, you, you wrote a terrific article this offseason about Cristobal's thoughts, obviously, on Herbert and Holland, et cetera. You emerged from that conversation thinking, what about Javon Holland?
0: that Mario Cristobal uh who got it right on Justin Herbert by the way as far as we know to this moment was convinced that Javon Holland is going to be an NFL you know star and hmm. so uh he's big he's versatile he's smart he's fast i sound like Brian Flores with the with the well, what's his What's his thing? Yes, smart. Uh, smart likes football, right? Very important smart, to like football Competitive. Here. Yes. Well, all of those things fit Javon Holland, and it's a matter of how fast he can uh, learn the NFL game and uh, gain experience to become that player. I don't think it's going to be a matter of if. It's going to be a matter of when with him. And obviously the Dolphins believe that. Otherwise they would have kept Bobby McCain as a insurance policy. And they didn't even do that. So they're, they're, they're convinced that Javon Holland is going to come along quickly and be the guy. Um, the interesting one to me is like you mentioned, the nickel corner spot, you know, the Justin Coleman signing was basically Brian Flores telling Matt Patricia, I'm better than you. Mm. And the reason I say that is both Matt Patricia and Brian Flores got the full effect Justin Coleman, I believe, when he was with New England, correct? Yes, correct. Uh, And Matt Patricia liked what he saw to the point where the Detroit Lions paid Justin Coleman. And then Matt Patricia was unable to extract from Justin Coleman what the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick were able to extract from Justin Coleman. Brian Flores taking Justin Coleman was basically, I can, I can do and I can get out of Justin Coleman what he showed us in New England, not what he showed us under Matt Patricia. That's I'm better than you, Matt. (laughs) I'm going to get something out of this guy you couldn't. I'm going to get something out of this guy that Bill Belichick could. And I'm better than you. (laughs) So that to me is what Justin Coleman says to me. And it's good because, by the way, Brian Flores has gotten a lot of good stuff out of Nick Needham. And, yes, he had the Buffalo game was a disaster. Okay? It was just I think it was a disaster for pretty much everybody. But for Nick Needham, highest on – maybe highest on the list. Um, Actually, two a highest on the list, but whatever. Um, the, the point is that Brian Flores has taken Nick Needham, a guy who was undrafted, a guy that, you know, his first preseason game, I think he got beat for like three touchdowns. And I remember asking Flores, this guy? you're playing this guy and he was like yeah it didn't look good but he stuck with him and he's it's looked better and he's developed so i like the how the the defensive-minded coach has been able to bring along defensive players particularly in the secondary
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that. Needham actually has turned out to be probably their second-best undrafted rookie signing behind Preston Williams. Now, the the other big issue on defense is when you do have a starting front seven, which isn't often anymore because teams are a nickel so often now in this pass-heavy NFL, but when you do actually have a starting front seven and play only four defensive backs, who in your base defense do you want to see starting? The automatics, obviously, are Jerome Baker, Christian Wilkins, Emmanuel Ogba, and probably Raquan Davis, if he wins the nose tackle job again, as he did late last season. So that's four. You could clearly make a strong case for McKinney, a former Pro Bowl player who they acquired for Shaq Lawson this offseason. He's probably going to be a fifth. Then maybe Van Ginkle, who definitely staked the claim. But then, I guess the question is, how do you want to play it who is your next best defensive player in a front seven? Is it Zach Sealer? Is it Adam Butler, who had 15 sacks for the Patriots over four years? Is it Vince Beagle coming off the major Achilles injury? Uh, is it Duke Riley, a former third-round pick of the Falcons, who started number of games for the Eagles last year? Or is it Jalen Phillips? who arguably was the best pass rusher in the draft, and do you want to get him on the field immediately as a starter in base defense? Is that reasonable to expect, Armando?
0: So I was I was listening to you rattle off names, and I'm thinking, is he going to get to Jalen Phillips at some point? <laughs> yes, I, I was saving it for last. Is he going to – are we not recognizing the number 18 overall pick? Look – um. Barry, playtime is over. It's not 2019. There are no gimmies anymore. Your first-round picks need to be starters. Your top five picks need to be all pros. And everybody needs to produce. And your team needs to be in the playoffs. This isn't about... um you get a year to, you know, kind of settle in anymore as a first-round pick? No. Um, If you remember, Richmond Webb was a first-round pick, and Keith Sims was a second-round pick, and they played right away. Because Don Shula was not on the grade me by, you know, on the curve type of thing. He was grade me right now. And Dan Marino replaced a Super Bowl quarterback. And granted, David Woodley was not – great, but he had played in the Super Bowl a year before, and five games in, he was, you know, on the bench watching Dan Marino set off on a 17-year career. It's for real now. We are not messing around. It's not, let's see what happens next year. No, now, now, and it's not grading on the curve. Jalen Phillips is a first round pick, number eighteen overall. You're starting, my brother. You got to start. Otherwise something's wrong, and either with the pick or with you. And that's as simple as that. Jalen Jalen Waddle, I mean, God bless him, Adam Beasley made a big deal out of Jalen Waddell practicing with the starters. That is the most you know, dog bites man story ever. He's the number, what was it, number six overall pick? Right. That guy needs to be a starter. If he's not a starter, that's a story. It's, you, am I making myself, am I crazy? No, it
1: makes total sense. I would think Phillips, just like Javon Holland, will be given every opportunity to start, The question is, do the Dolphins initially view him as just a situational pass rusher, or do they have such confidence in him after two weeks of training camp that they will say, this is a guy who has to play the majority of the downs, which would give you, obviously, Ogba, Phillips and likely Van Ginkle as your primary pass rushers. Want to mention one other quick thing on Jalen Phillips, Armando. I got to see him and spend a little time with him at Paradise Camp for for UM over the weekend. He said the adjustment to linebacker from defensive end at UM has gone very smoothly. He says it's a a little different uh, in terms of communication responsibilities, having to look over his shoulder to see what's going on behind him more. Uh, but UM's defensive line coach Todd Stroud did play Phillips standing up some. So Jalen said to me, "It's been a smooth transition. He's, he thinks he's going to be just fine at linebacker." So yeah, I would agree with you. You have to play him. He's the 18th pick, uh, and you're not—you're obviously not going to play him every down because that position doesn't lend itself. It's a high effort position, getting after the quarterback. But I do think you have to make him at least a, a slight front runner for starting job when you begin games. Uh, with a base front seven. And then I guess my one other question for you on the front seven would be, what did you think of the McKinney pickup? I know you and I have not discussed this on air, uh, trading Shaq Lawson for him. And also I find it interesting that even though he's played primarily inside in Houston, Flores is talking about maybe playing him some on the edge. In that scenario, you could see a Landon Roberts, who started a lot of games for Miami last year, playing alongside Baker if Roberts is back from the knee injury, maybe McKinney a little bit outside even though historically he doesn't have big sack numbers as an inside linebacker primarily.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm in the Landon Roberts get well, brother. And when you get well, then you can start competing, but my inside starting linebackers are McKinney and Jerome Baker and mm-hmm. not Landon Roberts. And that's the camp I'm in. And that's the camp I'm going to be in until he, uh, Landon Roberts is 100% and McKinney proves that he's better outside than inside. I just, uh, you know, I just don't see it. But, you know, wh- what do I know? I don't know. What do I know? I do know this, Barry. This is all we got for today because we got to go. The t- the, there's the same uh, boss that was like, you have to do this is now giving me the cut, cut, cut sign. (laughs) So um, let's do this again when the regular season begins or something like that. What do you think? Or when we're both not on vacation.
1: (laughs) Well, I enjoyed it as always, Armando. Thank you.
0: It was my pleasure. Uh, You are a fine, fine star of the show. Thank you so much. We appreciate you joining us this week and mostly every week when we're not on vacation, tune in uh, and look out on social media for Barry's story on this, uh, on this podcast and we'll social it out and you can listen and, you know, laugh at us like you always do. Thanks for listening.